And now, ladies and gentlemen, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Welcome, everyone, to Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I am Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Dressing, joining me across Zoom. I always say you're not really with me, but (laughs) hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne. Yes, hello from way over here across Zoom. That's right. (laughs) And good evening, everyone, and thank you for tuning in this uh, cool Monday evening. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it is important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and loan maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right, and we thank you, everyone, for joining us and spending your Monday evenings with us. We really appreciate uh, you listening to Down the Garden Path. And tonight, as we wrap up, I can't believe we're wrapping up April already, but we are wrapping up our month-long discussion on lawn care. And uh, tonight, we're going to have a look at different ways to control white grubs and other pests in the lawn, uh, including weeds. So I know there's lots of questions out there. We consider, you know, weeds pests, right? Um, So if you have a question about those pesky white grubs or a challenging weed that you have in your lawn, uh, please send us your questions to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's right, right, Matt? That's right. And you got it exactly. I think we think when we think the word pests, we think insect pests yes but weeds are definitely pests as well and are are. super adapted and and can be just as troublesome as as insects if sometimes not even harder yes Uh, for sure who it is and in the gta it's definitely gotten cooler and lawns are still slow to get going so i think they're still um you know i think our advice was very timely this past month so please if you've missed Uh, our last few episodes, please go back and listen to them because there's lots of great advice. Um, But patience is, is the most important thing right now. I know I've had some neighbors mowing their lawns already and, and there's still plenty of time and they're really not actively, actively growing. So um, yeah, yeah, so it's a good time to uh, have that conversation, right? That's right. That's right. And, And the weather um, just as you were saying, things are warming up and greening up. Um, still working at the garden center, coming back from the teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, the warm weather has got everyone so excited. People are, are leaving with whatever veggies, herbs, and perennials they can. Are they already still, in stock? The veggies? They're, they're in stock. A lot of the uh, peppers, some of the hotter peppers, a lot of almost a full selection of herbs. There's berries and and things like that um some tomatoes starting to trickle in so we're bringing stuff in but a lot of people are already oh i can just put this outside right i can plant this now yeah. or i i left yesterday and and the question right at the end was i planted the hosta i bought last week and it's all droopy 
And yeah, it's been like near zero some nights and she's gotten cold. So just keep in mind whenever you're out in the garden center, unless it's a cool, cold specific species, someone like a, a pansy or a stalk or a snapdragon, you know, those cool weather plants, these guys are three, four, five weeks ahead of what you would have them already. They mm. are not going to, and depending on where you are, uh, they're not going to survive. Like last night was minus one where I am with a negative seven wind chill. They're dead. They're flat out dead. So mm. just be mindful of what you're getting and what you cannot, uh, and what you can and cannot leave outside. Yeah. If you see the shrubs in the trees, they have probably been hardened off and they're fine. But mm. anyways, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've seen that too. And um, I'm sure many of the people that you're seeing in the nursery, I'm seeing on social media. And, you know, three weeks ago, it was like, when's our last frost date? When can I put these things out? And we're, everybody's like, May 24th, May 24th, after the end of May, maybe June 1st. And then they just proceeded to put them out. And so then, so then now they're all like, what should I do? I put it out. And it's like, well, <laughs> you shouldn't have put it out, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I know everybody is keen, but this is just unseasonable. And May 9th last year, there was snow. Um, you know, it, we really are serious. Like despite the like, few warm temperature days in April, um, it's going to get cool again. And we still could have a hard frost. We did have snow, mm a few days ago, but didn't include our hard frost, but we still, we don't need snow to have a hard frost. So, um, so yeah, so I think everybody just, um, yeah, take, take <laughs> your time. But yeah, you know? buckle up. It's going to be a ride and you're yeah, so I mean, excited. It really, but... <laughs> it's not, you know, and I get it. Everybody's stuck at home and want, and want to do something. Um, but uh, yeah, planting is not something you can do right now <laughs> no so. if you're planting anything plant some seeds um yeah you know here the uh, may 2-4 or you know uh, april 2-4 just walked by so we're at that four week period if you look on your seed packages right you know that four to six weeks left before you plant out mm -hmm. now is the four week period i planted uh, my peanuts my um, watermelon my cantaloupes and some tomatoes and some dandelions believe it or not uh and they're all yep joy is like what you planted dandelions yes i planted um, I, I have some for you <laughs> three dandelions yeah the classic yellow uh, a japanese white one and an asian pink and yellow one which is cool and they're all coming up so grow some seeds it's time if you're still looking to plant an itch uh, and you know try growing your own if you haven't that's a good point. We started some today too. My son, I've had a baggie and I've had the stuff and I've had the light and I've had everything get. So he actually did today. We, um, I found an, a melon that was recommended, I believe. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh. Julia, Julia recommended a small melon and, uh, as the zucchini that she recommended as well, uh, that grows in a container that's very, um, produces a ton in a container. And, um, and uh, oh, what else did we start? Oh, so some hot peppers. So I actually started today too. So yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And that this is perfect timing. And also the, you know, the people that started their seeds way back in January and February are trying to figure out, that's why they're so keen is because they're trying to figure out how to keep the things they started too soon alive. So if you are struggling with those, now's the time to plant new ones, you know, seeds, start some new seeds because now will be the time that uh, they will be at appropriate size to get into the garden so right exactly 
I started tomatoes like that and they're, I haven't staked them. They're indeterminate. So they're like divining type, but they're at least a foot and like a foot, 14 inches long. Oh, my goodness. So Julie has written or Jennifer has written in. So this is good. So we have someone who was looking for this advice. So she says, uh, uh, hi, all. I cannot believe this is your topic tonight. I was actually going to write you and ask you about grubs. She has tons. So yes. So when it comes to lawns and when it comes to um, you know, then even gardens, right? Because the grubs become the Japanese beetles that then eat the garden. So, and I think Matt, can you just go over that? Cause I think there's still people where that's, they're just, they don't realize it's the same thing. Yeah. 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 You got it. Exactly. So the Japanese beetles, which eat our garden right now, their life cycle, they're, they're the white grub. Their larva is that big, fat, juicy white grub that you see in your lawn that gives you those big brown dead irregular patches that spread out from your lawn they can also be in your soil so keep an eye as you if you have some open soil at the edge of your lawn spaces and you're prepping things maybe you're turning some soil or planting some annuals you see some white grubs you can apply nematodes there too but though japanese beetles the european chafers uh, the June bugs or your, uh, you know, your April beetles, depending on where you are, they will all create those white grubs that go around underneath the soil and eat the roots of your grass and kill your grass. So they're there for the spring and then they're, they pupate, they become someone different and then they're above the ground for a number of months and then they come back again, grub season in August. So yeah, so there they are white grubs and forward. Does that answer your question? <laughs> it does. Yeah, Hopefully. no, I think people need to understand they're battling the same thing and it's just different yes. at different stages. So um, when they're grubs, you can there's a couple of ways to try and control them when they're grubs, right? One of them is nematodes, but the ground would still be yes. too cool for that, right? Right now. Yeah. So and I mentioned to you last week and I didn't end up going and doing it. But the nematodes need a temperature of the soil for 10 to 12 degrees. Did you do it? No, I said no? I told you I would oh. forget too. <laughs> so I forgot too. But you can go out and just use a meat thermometer if you have an old one or a spare one and stick it in some thawed ground and look at the temperature of the soil. I would stick it down into about the three inch range uh, just because you're going to get a group of nematodes when you buy them. Uh, they're biological. They obviously they need warmer temperatures, but they're also going to swim from the right at the surface to two to three to four inches from the surface, and then all the way down to six inches in the surface. So three inches kind of gives you that average. You know that the the warmth is penetrating down to where the nematodes are going to want to be. Okay. So yes, we want to make sure that your your nematodes are are temperature ready. Okay. Um, take a look. Don't for, don't feel bad about asking. Um, where you go and buy your nematodes, if you choose to apply nematodes to control all those white grub species, um, ask if the, their supplier has looked at the soil temperatures for your area. And we've had um, John from NIC, Natural Insect Control, on. Um, Natural Insect Control, when John and Susan send me the nematodes uh, to the garden center, they know that my area where our garden center is has the right temperatures, so they're okay. ready to go. So just be sure to ask. Okay. Do you have them? I know you just got back there. Piles of them. We have piles okay. of them, and they're they're const they're just moving. People just know now that it's time okay. to go, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
All right. Um, so in addition to nematodes, there's a few new, there's another new product uh, on the market this year here yeah. in Canada. We have realized that we do have a lot of U.S. listeners and you have access to many of the strong chemicals that unfortunately in Canada and Ontario, we do not have. So I just want to give everybody that disclaimer that understand. But if you are in the U.S. and you're looking for more natural ways and more biological ways and more environmentally friendly ways to deal with grubs, um, to transition yourself for your own health, especially uh, away from, from those harsher chemicals than some of the products we use here. Right, Matt? That's right. That's right. And I believe um, uh, NIC, I heard recently, had the FIDO uh, certificate to send things to the States oh, as excellent. well. Okay. So that might be if you're just thinking about nematodes and looking for a source. But yes. So yeah. So we unfortunately don't have all that. So we are excited to see a new product from Scott's uh, called Grub Be Gone Max. And so this is a pellet you can use with your spreader. So you can just pour it in your hand spreader uh, or your lawn spreader with your seed or your fertilizer. And you basically are just going to spread it out on your lawn like a fertilizer. The active ingredient is in it is a type of uh, Bacillus thuringiensis. Uh, and so it's like the same thing. It's a bacteria. Uh, same thing that we use for caterpillars, but just a different subspecies. So the idea is that the bacteria gets watered into the lawn, like the nematodes. We want to make sure that the, the lawn is moist. We don't want it too wet or too dry. And we want to keep it evenly moist, regularly moist for quite a while, for a period of like a week or so. So the bacteria can soak in and do their thing. The idea is that the grubs are now feeding on the roots that are in contact or with this bacteria in the water that they're traveling through and it infects them and then it kills them. So much like the nematodes, swims inside of them and kills them and, and continues to multiply. Okay. So can you use both? You can use both. Yes, most certainly. Being biological, two different um, things. The, they're not going to interact with each other. The nematodes aren't going to go after the bacteria and the bacteria aren't going to go after the nematodes. Uh, the nematodes and the bacteria tend to be species specific. So they're really not interested in one another. You could definitely do both. Um, the bacteria is going to travel down so far. The nematodes are going to get a little bit further. Nematodes will also migrate and hide over winter lower down if you've got grubs going through fall into winter. Um, so you can definitely use both. Okay. The Scott's Grub Be Gone, you can use spring, summer, and fall. So you can always have it there. There's a springtime from, you know, April to late May, summer anywhere from June uh, into early August, and then fall anywhere August, September when the, when the grubs are there. Nematodes, we try not to. We are usually don't put anything down uh, between about June 15th and about August 15th. So there's that two-month period where, again, in their life cycle, the grubs have become the adult beetles, so everybody's above the ground. But around mid-August, and it might be a little sooner, it might be a little later, depending on where you are, uh, what happens is the female starts to lay eggs again. So the eggs take a couple of weeks to hatch, and then the baby grubs come out. So that mid-August time is when the eggs are hatching and the juveniles are out. We can apply the nematodes or we can apply our um, summer or fall uh, Scott's grub be gone to attack those those younglings. Those okay. All right. So Jennifer, that was a lot of info. So I hope that uh, helped answer your question on several of the things that you can do. We've done uh, several past shows on, you know, because nematodes, as we say it, like it's an easy thing to do and it's not hard. It just, there's a process to 
um, treating your lawn for nematodes. So we'll definitely have past shows in the show notes. Um, So please go and listen. We've done some really good ones where we've really broken it down and given you like our tea bag trick and and different things like that to just help you be more successful um, with doing nematodes. That's right. That's right. Um, Yeah. So we have just basically the biological options now up here in Canada. Um, nematodes, the bacteria. If you end up seeing skunks and raccoons in your lawn, um, they like digging for them too. They're literally like walking protein bars for them. They will sniff out every single one and devour it. They'll rip up your sod. They'll dig into your lawn. Raccoons will actually, because they're a little bit more um, tactile, they'll, they'll actually roll sod. They'll find the edge and then roll it back and then pick out the grubs. These guys are really good at finding your grubs as well. If you end up with grub damage like that, just kind of repair it, let them do their thing, hunt the grubs and then repair it. Don't try to take care of the raccoons or the skunks. They'll move on. They just think you're holding out on them. So they do a very thorough search. Mm. Well, I guess that's a good thing because they're eating them. So they're getting rid of them, but yet they're also damaging the lawn. So it's kind of, yeah. It's one of those those swords double-edged things but one step forward two steps back yeah (laughs) one of those one of those things so yeah so that's challenging so I mean and then we can't forget about um if you you know whatever you don't get at the at the the grub big gone stage and the and the uh, nematode stage when they do hatch in your garden um that the traps do work um one trap per yard So that is a common thing. And I see it on social media again, where people are like, get more, they either get more, which is not good, or they tell people don't do it because now all the neighborhoods, um, beetles will come to you. Also not true. So, right. So, you know, the, the, the pheromone only works within a certain area. So you really are only getting yours. But if you do go and buy three traps, then you have increased the pheromone. So now you are getting everybody's traps, everybody's bugs. So really, that's why it's really important to get one. Should you encourage your neighbors to get one too? Yes, absolutely. But one per household, one per yard. Yeah, spread it out. Get your neighbors involved, Mm -hmm. especially if they're seeing them too, for sure. And that's one of the biggest myths with with the, Mm -hmm. the traps is right, is that area. They have a like 30, 35 foot radius to the trap of the area of effect. You're not going to, no. Uh, you will get lots of bugs in them. You'll get lots of Japanese beetles. Those are the ones that are actually within the trap and are, have entered that area. Where you see two, there's like six underneath a leaf or hiding somewhere nearby. Yeah, so you will be yeah. surprised. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, I mean, you kind of have, those are our tools and you to really, especially if you've got a bad infestation, um, you really have to use a few of the things. No one thing is going to work. So starting with the, you know, preventing them and getting as many as you can at the grub stage, you won't get them all. And then getting them before they can hatch and make next year's grub stage. So it really is a few years, uh, especially if you have a bad infestation, um, yeah. you know, so yeah. 
I like sometimes to even resodding isn't the answer because they're. I think people think that, but because, like you said, they go when it cools down, they go deeper. So they've gone down. So you know, if you scrape the surface and add new sod, that's fine, and they could be grub-free sod. But then when it warms up again, the scrubs just come back up. So you know, sod isn't necessarily the answer either, and it's an expensive solution. Yeah, you got it. If you do it right, yeah. the timing they just hide for winter. And you miss yeah. it. Cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what else are we going to talk about today? I hope that helps. Um, yes, Jennifer, let us know if we if we were missing any of your questions. Oh, good. Oh, uh, Josh has written in and we were just talking about this, Josh. So I hope you caught it. He is saying, is it too late to start tomato or peppers by seed? When can I start my Halloween pumpkins outside? So <laughs> tomatoes a little late, but I think you're still fine. Peppers, definitely. I, I honestly, Josh, I think it's better to start late than start early. And so if you put them out the first week of June or the second week of June, no big deal. They'll catch up, right, Matt? Yeah, they'll exactly, they'll catch up. It, yeah. You just want to watch that, especially if you pick one that has like 130 or 40 days until harvest, right? That's where, you know, starting them too late. Or if you have, if you know, not starting them early, that's where it's really going to affect you. But no, just yeah, yeah getting them down for sure. Yeah, because uh, we're we're five we four weeks from last frost date, uh, Josh. So you're good. And peppers, this is a perfect week to start the peppers. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So thank you for your question. Great question. Do we have yeah. other questions? We do. We do. Oh no, I'm reading that same question twice. Oh. <laughs> I know um fertilizer okay so this is good so we did talk about fertilizer last week so you definitely should check that out but larry has asked is there any homemade natural fertilizer that you can make at home and not purchase thanks for any recipes love the show well thank you Ooh, i don't think we talked about any homemade we didn't recipes. Really talk about any homemade recipes we did recommend um compost and manure like adding as a top dresser adding that as the fertilizer. Um, did you have a recipe? I don't, but it just, I, initially I was thinking about what we, you just said, and then just creating you know, like oh, your you're own. having some Wi-Fi issues, I think, Matt, because you're, yes, I don't know why, but you're, uh, you're lagging a little bit. Oh, Whoa. I know it's telling me, actually, it's telling me my internet is unstable, but I am plugged in. So I oh, me too. Out. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I know. How are we it's doing, Gary? Are we okay? Yeah, there, there's a little bit minor uh, lagging, but nothing major at all. Not at all. Okay. Okay. Good. All of our wonderful there. listeners. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, so repeat what you said. <laughs> so yeah. we don't really have a recipe. Um no, but yeah. Larry, if you go online and Google um, like homemade compost tea, um, that sort of thing, there's a lot of homemade compost teas that are usually the thing that jumps to mind uh, yeah. for using your own homemade composts, uh, worm castings and things like that and extracting the nutrients in liquid form and then watering them in. And then you can put down that solid back into your compost or top. Larry, that sounds else. like a lot of work. <laughs> I, I think the manure, I, I think doing the manure and the, um, you know, you know, you know, and I agree with mushroom you. compost. What does mother nature do? Cause she's been doing it for 4 billion years. She's got the answers. She, 
we've come out of her. So you know what? What is nature doing? She's composting. She's layering things every year. She's protecting things, making sure that the soil isn't exposed uh, and things are able to just naturally mm. go through their cycle. And things are super nutrient dense. So it, when in doubt, I always say, just look at Mother Nature. What's she doing? She's got the answer. She's already mm-hmm. told us. That's right. So, so I had a client say to me that he likes putting um, sand in his spreader, like clean sand. So it doesn't have any lumps or anything like that and spreads the sand uh, on his lawn to just, yeah, add to the, add to as a top dresser almost. Have you heard yeah. that? Yeah, I've seen very few people I've seen do that, but and more just like adding sand into the soil or the compost they top dress with just to add that um, particle to add a little bit of aeration uh, and a little bit more pore space into the soil itself. So if you're top dressing or you just put the sand in there as it works down, it's just going to help with the overall structure uh, of the soil itself. Uh, I don't know if I've never seen anybody do like a, a anything like a special sand just like normal play sand mm-hmm. or just a regular yeah. sand yeah 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 okay so yeah that would be more like your your soil yeah sand. I think he was thinking that it helps with these clay soils and and stuff like that so um and helps the um soil retain a little bit more uh, water so mm-hmm. yeah so I don't see it harming nope, um again no, it's another you know, so sometimes I, I feel like people, you know, most of our listeners do want the low maintenance option, but sometimes you want just the option that's going to work. And sometimes that's a little bit more work. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And if, if that gentleman had like a clay soil or a very fine textured soil, um, the larger sand particles would help open the spaces for water and air. And so he mm-hmm. might be addressing an issue that, that he knows of this subgrade there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So Paula has written in and she said, so back to nematodes. So is it actually, is it time for nematodes? And how do we know how many to purchase? Thank you. That's a good question. Good question, Paula. Um, So depending on where you are, you want to make sure that your soil is a certain temperature, 10 to 12 degrees Celsius. Um, I want to say I'm going to be very bad, but I think it's 50 degrees Fahrenheit in case you're in the States. Um, but somewhere around there. So I was saying too, you can just take an old meat thermometer or your own meat thermometer if it doesn't bother you, stick it in the soil to about three inches down and see where the temperature rises up to that 10 or that 50 degrees uh, mark. And then you're safe to put them down. If it's too cold, they just become inactive or they just die. Uh, and then just make sure it's moist before. How much do you need to purchase? There's where some math comes mm-hmm. in. We need to do some square foot calculations. So, well, well, usually there's two sponges, right? Right. Or, okay. Right. Depending on the, okay. like, like the NIC one has two sponges. Okay. Um, I know there's some green earth, the globe ones that maybe a number of our listeners have seen. Uh, they just have like a little packet inside of like perlite uh, injected with them in there. Um, but usually it will say on the package, and it'll cover up to usually about 3,000 square feet. So going to your sponge thing where the, the natural insect control, the ones that we're familiar with uh, or we use or have available most readily to us, is there's two sponges in there with them injected on it. And each sponge will cover 1,500 square feet. So this is a great way to do it because you can just put one sponge aside uh, and save it in your fridge for two weeks later. And then you can go out and do 1,500 square feet 
mix it up, apply it, wait two weeks, three weeks, and mix it up and apply it again. So yeah, so Paula, you just want to know how many square foot is the actual lawn space, and then look at the nematodes that you have available to you and see how much uh, the square footage they cover, and it'll tell you one, two, three, or four packages. So easy. If you have a very, very large area, um, I mean, the NIC ones cover 3,000 square feet. You might need to buy one or two. I've had a few guests come in. They've got just like an acre and a half. And Ooh, they just, pardon. yeah, it's like, oh, I need like at least six. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Or I find if you share your lawn, if you've got a good size lawn and you share it with your neighbor, then it's mm. like the neighborly thing to do is to also treat their lawn. So, yes. you know, just keep taking it right across because, you know, uh, otherwise you're just, you're just, yeah, wasting your time on yours. So that's really important. We see the line between ours and their property. The grubs don't. The, the grubs don't. That's right. That's right. And so, and also that we do, like we mentioned a little while ago, we do have a couple of past shows where we really just focus and, and break it all down on how to apply nematodes. And that'll definitely be in the show notes for you. Um, so you can, you can look, listen back to that episode and we really break it down. We give you some tips and tricks. Um, our little tea, uh, using a tea bag is a little trick that we use. And uh, yeah, so, um, so that will definitely help you. Um, but I think the coverage is pretty, you wouldn't believe how small those sponges are and you bet and how much water, like how long it takes. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I think it does cover quite a bit. So, so mm -hmm. that's good. Yeah. Got it. Excellent. Well, um, we're reaching the bottom of the hour. I so know halfway through the show. Halfway the end of April, we're rounding out our lawn care month. We hope you guys have enjoyed it so far. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us here live on uh, Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting, relevant, and helpful topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Don't forget to spend more time with us down the garden path. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please subscribe to be notified of new content. Like, share, and leave us a comment. Uh, we love to hear what you guys are up to and where you guys are listening from. Uh, so we'd love to see you comment that. And don't forget, you can always find Joanne and I off the air. Uh, you can find us online on Facebook and Instagram at, at Down the Garden Path Podcast. And you can find jo Joanne, I almost butchered your name there, at uh, www.downthenumber2earth.ca. And you can find me at naturalaffinity.ca. Ooh, that's, that's right. a lot. <laughs> I know that is a lot. Thank you for doing that, though. I think it helps everybody know um, how to find us and what we're up to. And uh, yeah, so I think that's really good. And I'm glad I have, right. And I'm glad I have so many wonderful listeners to say that to. So that's right. That's we right. We do. We have some great <laughs> listeners. Um, so we do have um, Shane has written in. Uh, he's saying off topic here. It's okay. We forgive you, Shane. Um, <laughs> is it okay to prune my trub, my trees, my trubs, my trees and bushes now? I live in the GTA. Thank you for the advice. Uh, so yeah, the short answer is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> totally depends. Uh, totally depends. Yeah. So 
don't prune any of your spring stuff right now. There's all your spring flowering guys. They've got buds or they're in the middle of setting buds. Most of them have overwintered with your buds. You're just going to let them do their thing. Um, and just kind of building on that, as a general rule of thumb, let things basically flower before you do any pruning and shaping. Let it go through and then you're going to do your shaping. Your lilacs, your forsythias, your rhododendrons, all of that right now. Um, yeah. If it's, I mean, you're not going to kill it though. Like, cause I think no. if there's something that's overgrown and you've missed your window, like, yes. I mean, I think my nine bark or a spirea, like, you know, I'd rather see you lose the bloom, to be honest, not a spirea fan, but everybody has them. And if it's leggy and blah, you know, and they're not necessarily, I think, you know, I don't, think people do they plant them for their flower I don't know like the flower is a nice byproduct um you know if it's just gotten out of hand then maybe it is better to just cut it back hard and you might have lost the bloom but let it let it fill in and it will look better right yeah you can always do that kind of maintenance pruning as well exactly mm -hmm. pruning it if you have to just have to if it's blocking a view or in the middle of the driveway or hitting the door or something's going on or diseased, you just you can go for it. Mm -hmm. And then if you ever have to do it when it's it's out in um, leaf, uh, always take and again unless it's something that you just need to get rid of, there's a safety or a maintenance issue, uh, just do it. But just another general rule is is taking out a third of the actively growing foliage. If you go more beyond to like two thirds or half, you can run the risk of a, a huge shock and or just flat out damaging and killing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah and again Shane it depends on totally what what what, what it you're is, doing yeah. you're, are you doing fruit trees are you doing evergreens are you doing like what are mm -hmm. you doing so, um now hydrangeas you mean deadheading so some things you might just need to just deadhead yes uh you don't necessarily need to trim I saw a post today about rows of Sharon because the little seed pods tend to like stay on the outside do not like oh my goodness so many people were like cut it to the ground and oh my goodness do not do that so yeah you know just just do a light trim if you need to again mother nature if you forgot to do it it's still gonna be fine so um you know those seed pod thingies are fine on a rosa sharon it's going to be one of the last things it needs some heat so it's going to look like a dead tree until july um you know that's the way it is um my hydrangeas i did go out and i had to uh winter prune some of my bigger ones to kind of control the size so i did those early march they've been cut back hard uh, but like my little dwarf ones, I've just done some light deadheading, just, you know, the spent blooms, just trim them off. Um, no need, especially the dwarf ones that only get three feet high. You're not cutting them to the ground. Please don't listen to anybody who tells you to cut anything to the ground as far as hydrangeas go. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've already been doing that one too. Calls and at the garden center, just what do I do with my hydrangeas? No, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't touch don't it. Don't do that. It's fine. <laughs> that's fine so yeah so i hope that helps um as far as trees go shane i don't know if you want to write us back and tell us which uh, what kind of tree you're thinking of uh so we do have an aeration question um tate uh is it okay to now aerate my lawn the guys are coming around the neighborhood <laughs> yeah those guys those um guys. yeah what do you think matt 
I would say just depending on where you are, Tate, is your lawn actively growing so that if any weed seeds and things are disturbed from aerating, that they're not going to take hold. Uh, if you're here in the GTA, again, it's greening, it's growing very slowly, but the weeds are out in full force and they're taking over. So just kind of skipping that area, letting that, you know, your weeds be suppressed. And that's what the lawn does is holds them and takes them underground over those years. So just by aerating, you're pulling them out at a point in time where they can take over or they can have those optimal cool conditions just to sprout. If your lawn is green, it's growing, you've mowed it, maybe you're in a warmer climate than we are right now here in the GTA, uh, go for it. But if it is those kids that are just, you know, hey, buddy, I'll give you 10 bucks, give me 10 bucks, I'll aerate your lawn. You tell them to come back around mid-May for you when the grass is actively growing, it's dried out a bit, and then the lawn can fight those battles and those seeds can be taken away and just desiccated and nothing, there's no big open spots or sleepy grass for it to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, it depends on where you are. Like yeah, Tate, I think the goal is to not see, so you know, when everybody aerates early, when you look at a lawn, when you're going on a walk and all you see are those little, little tube things of soil everywhere. To me, the goal is to aerate when you're not going to see those, when those are going to be like in amongst the grass and you're really not going to see them. Like that's the goal. And I know it's tricky because I know those machine goes, guys are only around, unfortunately, a little too early, but, um, mm. so do the best you can with, with what, uh, situation you know right yes okay sorry I thought I was muted for a second I no no that's fine so yeah, yeah so I understand yeah. I mean I know what we're telling you but I also know that those guys like if you can get them to commit to coming back um then uh then that that is great uh, and that's the idea right is that you want to um you want it like Matt said when it's actively growing and you're not going to see the little I always think of them as little turds everywhere but uh, <laughs> you want them broke you want them mixed in with the grass and and that's the fastest way that they break down and and the best way to do it to really uh improve your lawn um so yeah so yeah you got it I yeah know. they do and look so, like little canadian goose poops they do they kind of do <laughs> they kind of do uh so um and so claudette has so very claudette's very funny she's like so where did you say i could obtain information on applying nematodes and they're on a sponge yes it's weird too i know i think it's kind of freaky but yes they're on a sponge so you're you're filling a bucket of water with you're filling a bucket with water and then you're putting the sponge in the water. There's our secret. Also a tea bag. So that, um, and then you need, you do need a um, hose and sprayer. So uh, we will post in our show notes, Claudette, um, our past shows, or you can go on my website or Matt's website and look, or on the podcast and look for under nematodes, you can search. And we've done uh, a few different shows. So we kind of walk you through step-by-step on how to do it so uh so yeah so that is the way to do it and then the tea yeah so the tea just helps you know when you need to add uh remind me (laughs) now i'm like on the spot what's the tea do oh yeah yes when you need to add more because you're just going to scoop the that's right so the bucket of water with the nematodes in it and then you're going to scoop that up into your hose end sprayer attach it to your hose end sprayer so it's going to be not clear. It's going to look like tea. And then when you're watering it in the lawn, when you you can't really tell when you're done, right? Because the water's going through. But when it's clear again, then you know you need to scoop some more. So it's a little, you know, right. it's a process. 
it is a process. <laughs> and they're like invisible. So not only are they on the sponge, but they're like invisible things that you can't see. So it's kind of creepy, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We'll be okay. <laughs> if that's creepy, I won't tell you how they work. <laughs> yes. No, let's not do that. Let's not do that. So I hope that helps. And we will definitely have those shows uh, in our uh, show notes for this show. But you can, again, search um in our past uh on uh, on your favorite podcast app is easier because I, I know my website doesn't have a search feature you've got to go through it so yeah so great questions tonight you guys i'm so glad that this topic is resonating and uh yeah there's so much so before we you know 740 um do we want to talk a little bit about weeds i know um there's a few people posting about things like creeping charlie yeah. um you know some of those really challenging weeds that make you want to like not have a lawn um yeah so do you have i mean how are we with as far as environmentally friendly um weed killers our options what are our options yeah if if you're in the states you've probably still got everything that we're all used to or at least the canadians up north of the border are like why can't we have this um so there are some new options that are out there um one of my favorites because it is a systemic herbicide so meaning that the active ingredient is translocated through the entire plant uh, so it goes through the leaves it's absorbed in the leaves it's gone down to the roots and all those other appendages uh, is the uh not that we'd be gone. Oh my gosh. Now I just went blank. Um, the Wilson's weed out. Uh, so it's a oh, gray okay. bottle. Um, they've taken an enzyme from um, peas and basically the, the enzyme is released as the mature peas and it tells the mother plant to basically just shut down. So they've synthesized that and you spray it on the weeds. It's absorbed. And that enzyme tells the weed to just start to shut down. It's just game over. Let's go. And it acts like the roundups or the other systemic herbicides that move through the whole plant. Again, okay. it's organic based. So it does take some time like any other organic process to kind of do. Uh, so it can take up to 15 to 30 days to really get into like a big dandelion. Yeah, it's big. It's, it's huge, especially with with those big guys with those taproots. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that people should worry about dandelions. One, they're easy to dig out if you need to dig them out. Two, two, they're really only here for the spring. You're not going to see them in July. They're not, they don't like the heat. So, um, and in the spring, the bees need them. So I think everybody needs to get over the whole dandelion thing, but I think it's other things like um, um, creeping, Charlie. creeping Charlie and uh, crabgrass. That are, you know, want to make people like rip their hair out. You know, I don't yeah. know. I guess I'm just over the whole complaining about dandelions. I really nope. am. <laughs> you are right. I was just using it as that taproot example no, I didn't of mean stored it. food. That's all. <laughs> but you're um, right. Yes. Will the wheat, Wilson's weed out work on Creeping Charlie? It will. It will. It does up to about 200 uh, broadleaf and other le weedy leaves or leafy weeds. Uh, but again, it is a slower application with something as vigorous uh, as Creeping Charlie, you will most likely need to do it at least twice. Uh, okay. Again, just to translocate it. And again, it's organic versus synthetic or chemical. So it does take a little bit more time to take that, to make that kill. And then that's where those classics, those, you know, we wish that we had those systemic uh, big guys, right? 
We do, so, we don't, right? We know why, again, I want to say that it's for our own health that we don't have them. So I'm fine that we don't have them. Yes. Um, and then we, you had, we were talking about Creeping Charlie before the show too. And you said there's a couple of other, you know, manual methods. Mm, yeah. If you end up with a good spray, um, what I like to do, especially with something Creeping Charlie is it, uh, you know, sends out all the little runners is try to follow them back to a single core where it originated, or there's a larger clump or root mass emanating out of your lawn. Um, try to pull what you can, uh, if you'd like to, I can, it's Canada, but uh, also then if you have your weed control, your treatment, you can use, I like to use, take out two ends of a can and I'll find that central clump and I'll spray my chemical treatment down the, in the can. So for example, just, I'm going to use Roundup because it's the only instant kill big guy that we have left in Canada. Um, but if you use your Roundup down the can, you don't have to worry about the drift spraying on the adjacent lawn. So you've located the central core of that weed and all you're going to focus the spray right on the, its top instead of all those things. There's no wind to drift it, blow it and, you know, get drops everywhere and damage other things. Now, do you make like a hole in the can? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. No, like if you imagine like you, you know, you open a can and you, you pour out soup, rinse yes. out the can. I you take off the label if you want to, but flip it over and open the bottom like you did the top. Oh, okay. Okay. And then you've got like a cylinder where you put the spray nozzle right up and it'll go right into the can. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, got to break it down for me. Got to break it down. I'm sorry. That's a great That's way right. of you come across them and you've had chinch bugs just speaking about lawn and insects and other things save any of your big apple cans like that because you'll need one for a test for chinch bugs but we oh, won't okay. go there okay <laughs> yeah i mean and i found like especially things like gout weed or some other um weeds that you might have aggressive weeds within the garden i find you know using I mean, again if if you have to resort to roundup that's what's available to us um and you need something that's going to those that works because it's absorbed by the plant and it kills it out at the roots so instead of so the can method is a good one that i had never heard before i've done it where you don't um you don't really fully pull the trigger you just kind of open it so that they just it just drips and just yes. let it drip on the leaves and uh and then that way you're not killing the other plants around you because roundup kills anything green it touches really right yes anything yeah. Yep. So if it's going to kill the grass, it's going to, I've heard of people like literally painting things with paint, with, uh, with Q-tips or with paintbrushes. So it depends on how particular you are and how patient you are. Um, but uh, yeah, so some of those are, it's challenging. The Greek, you know, the one thing about Creeping Charlie is it's green, right? So yep. if you cut it into the lawn, like at least it's green. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. Dawn wants to know, um, with our tea, um, red rose or Tetley and, uh, one lump or two of sugar. So, yeah. <laughs> um, he's kidding, but he's loving the show tonight. So thank you very much, Dawn. Yes. Thank you, Dawn. Um, and for me, it's actually twinnings Earl Grey, uh, double, double, or ah, double, double. If you know what double, double is, if you're American, it's two milk, two sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys know that. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I think this was a really timely show and I, and I think we definitely will link to all the other, I mean, we talked lawn, um, like we talked about last week, lawns are really important to people. I had a few people email me after the show, just saying they, they really feel like a good lawn is indicative of how well you've taken care of your house. 
and good curb appeal. Um, I can see that to a point. I think if your um, lawn struggles, but your, as mine does, to be honest, uh, but your garden looks amazing, your trees are good choices, your house has been taken care of, you know, I think you, you get a bit of leeway with the lawn. So I think, you know, although I struggle with that too, in that I, uh, you know, want that gorgeous lawn that I had growing up, but yet I don't want to do all that work, you know, and I've shrunk my lawn as much as I can. And I keep trying every year to take out a little bit more and make it more garden. I do find my garden much less, especially now that it's established, must let much less work than the, the lawn. And uh, so, yeah, so a lot of clients more and more are wanting bigger lawn, bigger gardens and less lawn and bigger patios and less lawn. So, um, so design, so that can kind of transition right into design season is full steam ahead. Um, it's been challenging to not disappoint everybody because, uh, um, you know, the, my first, so my, one of my, my first install was completed on um, Friday last week. And that design was completed in September of 2020 and the client booked in September of 2020 and they were installed in April of 2021. Now material shortages, a particular brick that uh, my client wanted, which was an amazing choice uh, for her house, you know, was not available last year. And uh, so that was why the extended reason to start why waiting. But yeah, so most of the contractors, as I've said before, are starting the season on 2020 jobs and then, you know, slowly transitioning into 2021 jobs, but um, definitely, and we're all um, having a hard time keeping up answering, doing the work and then answering your calls. So in emails and things like that. So it, um, yeah, so it, it is a challenging time. It really is. It's good. Yeah. I'm grateful. I don't want to seem ungrateful for sure. We're all very grateful in our industry of how busy we really are and how, and it makes me excited that people are spending money on their home and, and wanting to improve their outdoor spaces. I also think that's a, it's a wonderful thing. You're never going to regret it. You really are not, you're not, you know? So, uh, so yeah, no. even when we can travel again, the fact that you can come home from work and go outside and, and relax in your outdoor space, uh, I think is a wonderful thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So Yes, I think that. so too. Yeah. I think so many people are going to be so excited to get away. There's going to be this huge backlog and like travel eventually, and then they're going to get, you're going to get into the situation where you just can't go when you want to, or you have to wait before you go, and then you're going to sit at home with this beautiful landscape, and you're mm -hmm. going to yeah. I think your life is just going to be so much more enriched. So many more people, um, they're emailing, they're calling. I seeing them at the garden center now that I'm back there again. They're just, they feel so much healthier and more in contact with that nature or that nature and that cycle. And they're just this new appreciation, I think, for life. And anyways. Yeah, I think so. I think people realize how, how enjoyable their yards can be too. And, uh, and I think that's a good thing. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm very fortunate. Um, all my friends that are, you know, we're all kind of supporting. We're having a call once a week. We're still maintaining it during our busy season because we all kind of need the support um, for what we're going through and bounce off ideas and, and best ways we can help the cl clients and the contractors. Um, so yeah, so bear with us. If you are looking to get some landscaping done, even if you're thinking of for next year, I mean, it's the sooner you kind of get into the queue, uh, I definitely recommend. And, um, 
And yeah, I mean, and I think thinking about things, I was speaking with one person today and she was really kind of focused on the patio, which is fine. But I said, you know, it's it's the time is now to like look at the whole, that's the advantage of a design is that you can look at the whole yard and what is your three-year plan, your two-year plan, your five-year plan, just to make sure you're not going to do something that you're going to regret later. You know, so even if you only want the, you know, the patio installed this year, I think it helps to just look at the whole yard and look at what your end goal um, is. And even if you're not, that's not your forever home and your end goal is to, to sell, then, then that you then tell your designer that and you will approach things differently. So, uh, so yeah, so it's my shout out to as far as the design topic goes. Uh, so what do you think? And you're, you're trying to get back in the swing of things at the garden center. Yeah, I'm still fielding calls, um, doing some consultations. I started back at the garden center. Um, things, things are busy and there's so many new gardeners out there who just are looking for fresh ideas, new plants, designs they're just looking and thirsty for inspiration and getting outside so uh, I, I can echo everything you said about design um yeah they're just it's just crazy people are out there just being crazy just be safe when you guys go out there yeah, definitely. Um, I know you were saying, uh, so we definitely want to let everybody know, I mean, even though you're outside, we are very fortunate that the government has left, at least yeah. in Ontario, the garden center is open, even though, and we realize it's challenging because it's at a, at a reduced percentage, but we, the goal is to stay, like, all our money is made, all their money is made in the next few weeks. So the goal is to stay open. And I'm kind of saddened to hear how many people are kind of complaining about masks and not showing up in masks and taking them off, walking around the garden center. Um, you know, we need to stay safe. And if there's a big outbreak at a garden center, then they'll all get shut down. So we really, um, you know, we really definitely want to keep to support that industry. So, uh, so please keep that in mind and spread the word to your fellow gardeners, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. And um, I did want to ask about, oh, there's lots of, I think people are worried there's going to be a shortage. And I think the garden centers are more prepared with vegetables and annuals and, and certainly perennials are fine. Shrubs are going to be fine. I know there's some issues with large trees, large specimen mm. trees, uh, definitely some issues, but that's kind of even pre-pandemic and lots of factors go into that. Um, so, you know, they're uh, columnar trees, Matt, I don't know. Everybody wants a pyramidal tree. So there's going to be some other choices you're going to have to make. So we're not out of trees. We just may not have the growers may not have the exact tree that you want, but there's other options. Um, but as far as fruits and vegetables and annuals, I think it's going to be fine. So there's no need to panic. There's, I think there's going to be enough for everybody, right? Yeah, exactly. We think that that's all pretty much done. Uh, the only thing that we're hearing garden center wise is that there are just some trees that, that again, some of the larger trees and some of the containerized trees, just with the labor, getting them potted up, it's just going to be slow. So there might be some, a little bit less availability right away. Uh, but other than that, yeah. And again, columnar trees for sure. So far, um, I don't know if you've seen them anywhere. I know that I can't get any or see any, uh, just that the classic pyramidal English oak, Quercus, uh, Robar for Fistigiata. Uh, that one is just still not around just with the whole oak issues um, and some crop failures, but there are lots of other beautiful options. 
Um, if you're thinking English oak, but you may not be able to find one, the next popular one that we're seeing right now is the Dawick beeches. Uh, the purples, the greens, the yellows, uh, the golds, the red, um, red emperor or uh, red something. I'm totally forgetting what it yes, is. Yes, actually, the, the green, the gold one is not available. Also, that's the that's an issue in BC. So the grower for the be the gold beaches or the green beaches, uh, Dawak beaches, um, sold his land last year. So yeah. uh, so that there is a shortage, severe shortage of those ones. But if you do want the red, the red's available. Um, so yeah, so there's a few things, but contacting your, you know, that's another reason to have a landscape designer is that we've got a whole toolkit. We're up on these things. We know what we can sub and what we're, and what contacts we can, uh, we can, uh, work with people to, um, to solve these situations and make sure we're planting the right tree in the right spot. And maybe you don't need, you think you need a columnar tree, but maybe you don't need a columnar tree. Maybe you just need a smaller flowering tree or a smaller, uh, tree. Um, or, you know, one that's going to grow faster, like I think like a dappled willow could be, you know, it's it doesn't look like much at the garden center, but when it really fills out, it can give you a lot of privacy. So um, that's another shout out to um, hiring a professional in your area and uh, having a garden consultation. And I've seen some posts on the garden on the websites about, oh, just ask at your local garden center. And I know you work at a garden center, but it's hard. You don't have time, right? Like you're working at a garden center and you're trying to keep the plants alive and you're trying to find them for people. And you don't, you know, I think people are disappointed if they go to the garden center expecting someone to walk them through and help them choose 15 plants for their garden. Yeah. It's exactly. really not your job, right? It's really. It's, it, it is and it isn't. Yeah, exactly. We, to, to give you the proper design attention to detail that you are looking for, your garden center associates are most likely not going to be able to do that. I will not be able to do that um, there. And we will try to set you up with a design appointment. Um, so, and that's always the best way to go is, is get your in-store service from your local garden center or better yet, contact someone like Joanne and I who can set aside some time and give you a proper landscape design with all those considerations for sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we do them virtually too. I mean, I know yes. it's in the heart of the season and there's lots of designers. I mean, I'm sure in your local area, if you're from far and away. Um, but if you do want a virtual consultation, um, that's something that Matt and I can do um, over Zoom. And, uh, you know, you'd have to supply some pictures and some measurements and things like that, but it's definitely doable. Uh, so that's something to consider uh, for sure. We do have one little comment about um, dandelions. So Jerry's saying that on uh, Stephen's show, he talked about a recipe for dandelion donuts. Uh, she said it was on Steve Big Show, save those dandelions and make them donuts. So we'll definitely have to look into that one. So that's cool. I've already so. started writing Stephen's bigs as we were just rounding out there, Jerry, to find out. Oh, okay, good. That's good. That's good. So then maybe we can link to, we're going to, man, our show notes are going to be long this month, this week uh, with they lots are. of links. So that's great. So thank you, Jerry, for letting us know. And thank you for listening to our show in addition to Stephen's. So that's, that's where we love good company. And we hope we answered all, as many questions as you had for weeds and grubs. And uh, we, we definitely are there for you. So thank you for listening to the show tonight. That's right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here down the garden path on Reality Radio 101. And we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.